Good morning. Greetings in Christ's name this morning. The last couple of times that I preached, I preached about how Jesus is referred to as a stone. And I appreciate Eli's talk or devotions this morning. There are different times in Scripture where he is referred to as a stone. And when we think about a stone, we think of something that is solid, something that is firm, and something that is strong. We had talked about how Jesus is the smitten stone in Exodus, where he was struck so that he can bless us, so that he can pour out his grace on us. We also talked about how we can strike Jesus more than once in Numbers 20, how Moses tried to be the one in authority instead of God, where Moses was trying to be the one who provided for the Israelites instead of God. This morning, I want to speak about the smiting stone. This is not the stone that was smitten, but the one who strikes. When we look in our world around us, we can see that things are getting worse and worse. The spiritual climate of the world is decreasing quite rapidly. Men are becoming more and more wicked. There is a lot of deception that is happening here on the earth. Everyone claims that they have the answer to reach to God. But if you look at all their views, you come up with as many different views or ways to God as there is people. There are lies floating all over the place, whether it's in religion or even in the political world, the financial world, world, and so on. So much so that apart from the Bible, you have no idea what is true or what is false. The Bible says that evil men shall wax worse and worse. And we can see that it's not going to get any better anytime soon, apart from divine intervention. With these thoughts, I want I invite you to keep your Bibles open to Daniel 2, and we'll talk about this chapter. <clears throat> Just an introduction um, to this chapter. <clears throat> I think this chapter is one of the most important chapters or passages to study. <clears throat> in order to understand God's plan for the end times. It is one of the foundation passages to study, to learn what God's plan is for the world. In this chapter, we will learn what God's plan is for the nations of the world. Before we get into the chapter, we need to talk about why the Jewish people were in the land of Babylon. We see Daniel, he, we know he was a Jewish. Why was he in the land of Babylon? As we know, the southern kingdom of Judah were captives in the land of Babylon, and Daniel was a part of those captives. Why were the Jewish people in the land of Babylon? Why were they held captives? And in asking this question, I want you to think about the Jewish people and Daniel and what God thought about them, and also about what they thought about God. The Jewish people had been unfaithful to worship the true God of heaven. They were worshiping the idols of the nations around about them. They were involved in many gross sins. They had broken the covenant of Moses 
that they had made with God. And the covenant of Moses is the laws in the, in the first uh, five books of the Bible. Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And these laws were what God had made. And this covenant that they had made is found in Exodus 24. And they used blood to confirm the covenant. In Exodus 24, the children of Israel told God and Moses, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. In Deuteronomy 28, it gives us the results of obedience and also the results of disobedience. If they obeyed God, God will set them up, set them on high above all the nations of the earth. God will make them the head or the leader of all the nations and not the tail or the follower of all the nations. God will bless them in so many different ways. He will bless them in military success, financial prosperity, and in farming prosperity and family life. But if they disobeyed God, all the things that God would have blessed them with, he will then curse them with. Their enemies will then capture them, and they will then serve their enemies. Deuteronomy 28 warned the people. Many of the prophets warned the people, the Jews, that if they continued in their sins, that God would punish them. We see in Daniel 1 that it was the Lord that gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, as Daniel and the Jewish people are in Babylon, their minds may be thinking, is this it for the nation of Israel? Will God forever forget his people? We will find out in our sermon today God's plan for the nation of Israel. Let's look at King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And this we can see about his dream in the first part of the chapter 2. The dream that the king had, bo- had bothered, bothered him so much that he was troubled in his spirit. And that he wasn't able to fall asleep again. When the king awoke, he couldn't remember the dream that he dreamed. But his spirit was anxious to know the dream. In verse 5 of Daniel 2, it says that the dream was gone from him. The king then called for the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers to tell him what his dream was. Not only were they to tell him what the dream was, but also the interpretation of the dream. And if they were not able to tell him what, the, what his dream was, then it says that there will, there will be certain death. They will be cut in pieces and their houses will be made into a heap of ruins. They told the king that there is not a man on the earth that can tell the king what his dream was. Because of that, the king commanded that they all be killed, which included Daniel and his three friends. At this time, Daniel shows up um, in interceding for um, his friends, his, his own life, and also the life of of all the magicians. Let's look at what he did. 
when the, when the executioners were searching for Daniel and his friends, he asked for more time from the king so that he could show the king his dream and his interpretation. Daniel and his three friends spent time in prayer so that God could reveal the dream to them, so that their lives could be spared. God revealed the dream to Daniel in a vision. <clears throat> the next day, Daniel, with great confidence in what God had told him in a vision, went before the king to tell him his dream. Daniel confirmed what the wise men had said, that there is not a man on earth who can tell the king what his dream was. But then Daniel goes on to say, but there is a God. This line gives Daniel hope. This line saved the wise men's lives. This line shows the king what his dream was. Something that was impossible for anyone to do. God is the one who intervenes in this situation. It wasn't necessarily Daniel or his three friends, but it was God. God used Daniel so that God could make a way so that he could intervene on their behalf. And if we look in verse 30 of Daniel 2, Daniel takes no credit in revealing the dream to the king. He did not look at himself as superior to the other wise men. Let's look at the purpose of the dream. And <clears throat> God had a purpose in giving this dream to Nebuchadnezzar. God uses whomever he chooses to reveal his will. In this story, he used a pagan king, a king that had his people worshiping him to reveal the plan for the world. He used a wicked man to give to Daniel and the Jewish people, and also to us, a divine message. In verse 28, we can see the first purpose of the dream. It says, But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. What is meant by the latter days? In the Amplified Bible, it is referred to as the end of days. And all the times that the latter days is mentioned in the Bible is referring to the time of Jesus' second coming. The time of Jesus' second coming is a time after the seven-year tribulation where the Jewish people will be persecuted and experience Jacob's sorrow because of all the times that they have rejected God. It is also the time where they will repent and turn back to God at the end of the seven-year tribulation and reign with Jesus during the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Another purpose of the dream we can see in verse 29, and it says, As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind, and upon thy bed, what shall come to pass hereafter? What shall come to pass hereafter? I believe the word hereafter refers to a short time in the future compared to in the latter days. <clears throat> in other words, what will happen <clears throat> to the Babylonian kingdom? Do you suppose that King Nebuchadnezzar wondered at times what would happen to his kingdom? God gave him the answer of what would happen in the dream that he gave him. 
And we see that the kingdom that follows Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is the least descriptive compared to the others. God doesn't tell Nebuchadnezzar where this next kingdom comes from. And I believe God arranged it that way so that Nebuchadnezzar couldn't be on guard for it when that kingdom would try to overtake him. I believe another reason that God had the dream revealed, and especially to Daniel, who was a Jew, so that they could find hope for the Jewish people. Jerusalem at this time was in ruins. The walls of the city were broken down. The temple was destroyed. That the glory of the Lord had departed from Israel. The presence of the Lord was no longer with them because their temple was destroyed. The place of the presence of God. In Psalms 137, it says that they hung their harps on the willow trees. We can see that they were in despair because they were in a strange land. For many years, God was with the children of Israel. He was with them when they were in the land of bondage in Egypt. He was with them when he brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He was with them when he conquered the land of Israel for them. The exacts of God for the children of Israel were done because of his love for them and also because of what he had promised Abraham, about how Abraham will be greatly blessed. And because of God's blessing to Abraham, there will be a, become a great nation from the seed of Abraham. Not only did God promise a blessing to Abraham, but he also promised the land of Israel to him as well. He promised Abraham a kingdom. And the details of that kingdom or the land is found in Genesis 15, 18 to 21. <clears throat> the promises that God made to Abraham was not conditional. It was unconditional. <clears throat> in other words, there was nothing that Abraham could do to not receive the blessing. The blessing was coming to him, not because of Abraham, but because of the nature of God, because of his love for his people. <clears throat> the Mosaic covenant that God made with the children of Israel, of Israel was conditional. <clears throat> they needed to obey the laws that God gave them in order for them to be able to receive the blessing from the Lord. But their children had a chance of repenting and turning back to God in order to receive the blessings that God gave to Abraham. <clears throat> in saying all that, it could be discouraging for the Jews who were captured to think that this is the end for the Jewish people, to think that God has forever forgotten them, to think that all the years that God was with them and helped them was for nothing that it was pointless. But I believe when Daniel heard of the dream and the interpretation of it, that it gave him and the Jewish people hope that God hasn't forgotten them, that there will be a plan for them in the future, in the latter days. <clears throat> Another purpose of this dream is to show Daniel and to us the beginning of the times of the Gentiles. What does the time of the Gentiles mean? <clears throat> Since the time that God called Abraham, it seems to be that the Jewish nation 
was the center of the world. They were the superpower of the world. <clears throat> the children of Israel were the ones whom the nations around them feared. When the children of Israel had crossed the Jordan River, the kings of the Amorites and the kings of the Canaanites, their hearts melted. Neither was there any spirit in them because of the children of Israel. Rahab told the two spies the same thing, that there was no courage in man because of the children of Israel. And Rahab then tells them the reason why they were considered the superpower of the world, why they were considered the center of the world. And it's because the Lord their God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Also in Ezekiel 5, 5, talks about um, Israel being the center of the world. Thus saith the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set it in the midst of the nations and countries that are round about her. Because of the Israelites' sin and because of their captivity, what does God say about them now? In Ezekiel five eleven of that same chapter, Wherefore, as I live, saith the Lord God, Surely because thou hast defiled my sanctuary with all thy detestable things, and with all thine abominations, therefore will I also diminish thee. Neither shall mine eye spare, neither will I have any pity. And also Romans 11, 12, it talks about it, speaking about the children of Israel. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more are their fullness? Notice God diminishes the children of Israel. And also in Romans eleven twenty five, again speaking about the children of Israel, for I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should by be wise in your own conceits, that the blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And the blindness in part speaks about a partial, partial hardening of the children of Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in, until the, time, until the time of the Gentiles is complete. If God's focus isn't on the children of Israel anymore, where is his focus at now? And if you pick it up in the previous verses, I gave you the answer. It is on the Gentiles. So the time of the Gentiles is when God changes his focus from the children of Israel to the Gentiles. When the door of mercy is open to the Gentiles. And may I just add this real quick. It doesn't mean that there are no Jews being saved today. There are. But these Jews that are saved during the time of the Gentiles are part of the church that will be raptured with the Gentile church. During the seven-year tribulation, God will again turn his focus back to the Jewish people when thousands of them will be saved. Let's notice what happens to the Jews in the time of the Gentiles. And it talks about in Luke 21, 24, and it says, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive to all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, 
until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. We see that there's Gentiles in Israel today, Jerusalem. And also Ezekiel 5, there's different words that describe the judgment that God will give to the children of Israel that is happening even today. Words like, I will make thee a waste and a reproach among the nations. They will be a reproach and will be insulted among the nations. Don't we see that happening today? The Jews do not have full control of their land. There are Gentiles. The Gentiles dominate the world and have control over Jerusalem. And I think it's interesting. This dream comes to a Gentile king because he's at the beginning of the times of the Gentiles. Let's look at the description of the image. And I'm going to read um, verses 31 to 34 again. Thou, O king, saw us, and behold, a great image, this great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. Then were the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together. I think I was going to stop there, sorry. Well, yeah, now that's the image of, that's the description of the image. Now let's look at the interpretation of the dream. As we go down through, you will notice that the next kingdom is, is inferior to the previous one. And the word inferior, in, um, as it's used here, is maybe not a good word to use. Um, I believe when they use this word, it means lower. The next kingdom is lower down on the image than the previous one. <clears throat> because the further you go down each kingdom, the kingdom gets stronger and stronger in their force. But if you look at the image, the head on the top, if you, if you see the difference between the toes, the iron, and mixed with clay versus the gold, the gold is heavier than the iron mixed with clay on the bottom. <clears throat> this image is top heavy. And as you go down the image, each metal gets lighter than the one above it. <clears throat> the gold on top weighs more than twice what the iron mixed with clay does on the bottom. This is a picture of the decreasing stability of the governments of each kingdom. And this is a line that I got from David Jeremiah. This is also a picture of Gentile dominion and civilization that is one of continuous degeneration and decay. And if you see the bottom, it all ends up in a pile of dust. Let's look at the head of gold. Who is the head of gold? Daniel tells the king that he is the head of gold. Notice how King Nebuchadnezzar rules. He was the king of kings. In other words, he was the ruler of all the known world. He was control of even the animals and the birds that were on the earth. King Nebuchadnezzar fit the description of the head of gold because Babylon was covered with gold. 
Let's look at the next one. The breast and the arms of silver. This kingdom comes after the Babylonian kingdom. If we look in chapter Daniel chapter 5, verse 28, we can see that the kingdom was the Medes and the Persians. If, if we re remember, that is the time of when Esther was queen. The two arms on this image speaks of a division in the kingdom. And if we look at the word silver, it has to do with money. This kingdom is known for all the money that the kings got because of the taxes. This was a wealthy kingdom. And we can read more about this kingdom in, like I said, in Daniel 7, verse 5, and also 8.20. Let's look at the next kingdom, the belly and the thighs of brass. The third kingdom, after the Medes and the Persian, is the kingdom of Greece. Notice it says that the kingdom shall rule over all the earth. Alexander the Great, he was the ruler when he had conquered the world. It is said that he sat in his tent and wept because there was no more of the world for him to conquer. In this kingdom, bronze was used because the soldiers had helmets, breastplates, and shields, and swords made out of bronze. The next kingdom, the legs of iron. This kingdom follows after the Greece kingdom. It is the kingdom of Rome, if we look in history. This kingdom started a little before the time of Jesus, before his birth. And we see there's two parts of it, two legs, legs of iron. That means the kingdom was split in two. There was an Eastern Roman Empire and also the Western Roman Empire. The phrase that we see in verse 40 where it talks about how iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things. In the Good News translation, it says that the kingdom will shatter and crush the previous empires. The Romans were known for their ability to crush any resistance with an iron heel. Let's look at the next kingdom. The feet and the toes that are part iron and part clay. This is the last of the Gentile kingdom because there is nothing more to describe on the image. This kingdom is also divided. How much is it divided into? It talks about the toes of the feet. How many toes do we have? We have ten toes. So out of this kingdom, there will arise ten kings. And we could see that in Daniel's dream that he had about the same, not, not the image, but about the same um, description in chapter 7, 7, and also in verse 24. Daniel had the same dream. And this dream that he has in, is the same dream, like I said, that King Nebuchadnezzar had, except is different in descriptive form. So who are the ten kings? We see that the, ten, that the toes are part iron, the revived Roman Empire. It seems like the Roman Empire will one day be a leading world empire again, but will be mixed with clay. What is the clay? 
It says that they, the iron or the ten kings, shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. And I'm not exactly sure what the seed of men is, means, and there's other Bible scholars that aren't sure as well. But I'm going to just read a note from my Bible to maybe what, what it could mean. The king represented by the ten toes will seek to mingle themselves with the seed of men. That is, they will seek to be popular with their, with their subjects and rule more or less by their wishes. It is the strength of Rome mixing with something that is weak, and it doesn't mix. So when does this kingdom, when does this kingdom come into power? If we look in Revelation 17, it gives us the same description of the ten kings as in Daniel 7. What is the book of Revelation about? It is a book that tells us God's plan for the, for the earth in the future. We are still waiting for the last Gentile kingdom to come into power. And another way that we can know that this is something that will happen in the future is the phrase in verse 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. I'm going to step aside from the, the story here, the image, and ask, what does the dream tell Daniel and to us? This dream that the king Nebuchadnezzar dreamt shows us the rise and the fall of most of the kingdoms listed here. These kingdoms all had the power to rule the known world at that time, but, but fell short of it. The dream shows us that it is not the kings nor their kingdoms that control the length that they reign, but it is God who controls that. I believe that is the same for us today. God is in control of those who are in power, whether we like the ones that are in there or not. In verse 21, Daniel thanks God that he is the one that removes kings and sets up kings. In verse 37, it says that God is the one who gave Nebuchadnezzar a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. The people who vote don't control that, how long their king stays in power. Or the king doesn't even control that. But it is God that controls that. And I think we need to be rest assured in that truth as we think about who is in power. God is the one who sets up kings and takes them away. All right, let's go now back to the image about the stone. Who is this stone? I told you already, the, the answer already, with the series that I'm doing. The stone is Jesus Christ. He is the stone. And I think this part of the story or the dream is the climax of the story. It is what the Jews are longing for. It is what us as Christians are longing for. And even for the unbelievers, I think they're longing for a time like this, for an age that Jesus will bring, except they will not be part of it because they refuse to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. 
This is the time where Jesus will set up his kingdom here on the earth. Let's look at what the stone does. The action of the stone. This stone strikes at the feet of the top heavy image. The stone breaks to pieces all of the Gentile kingdom. It breaks it to pieces. Doesn't it remind you of some verses in the New Testament? Matthew 21, 44. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And also Luke 20, verse 18. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken. But on whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Pretty much the same verse. On whomsoever it shall fall, the stone, it will grind him to powder. These pieces are so small that it is like the shaft of, of the, that the wind carries away. It is carried away. There is no more trace of the Gentile kingdom. It is all gone. The Jews will again dominate the world with Jesus as their king. The stone which struck the image becomes a great mountain that fills the whole earth. It fills the whole earth. This speaks about the kingdom of Jesus Christ filling the whole earth that was once controlled by Gentile kingdoms. Let's look at some of the characteristics of Jesus' kingdom that we see here in Daniel. And I got these as well from David Jeremiah, some of these thoughts. First one, it is a stone that is cut out without hands. This kingdom that Jesus will set up is not man-made. As far as I can tell, there is no man who helps Jesus set up his kingdom. We who know Christ are included, but we don't set up, set the kingdom up. It is divine intervention, just like the virgin birth, divine intervention, just like the resurrection, divine intervention, and just like the coming of Jesus Christ, his kingdom, a divine intervention. It is a kingdom that comes suddenly. This kingdom will not come gradually, but it will come suddenly. The other Gentile kingdoms rose out of the ruins of the previous kingdom. Christ's kingdom doesn't come from the other kingdoms. It will come from heaven and strike with a sudden blow. It will come as sudden as the lightning flashes in the sky, or as sudden as the flood waters came up on those outside of the ark, or as sudden as the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. This kingdom is a severe kingdom. Like I said, it crushes all the previous kingdoms. All the metals that are made, that made the other kingdoms valuable, that are valuable, or were known, are blown away with the wind so that there is no trace of them. This speaks of judgment. This kingdom is a sovereign kingdom. This kingdom will fill the whole earth. Jesus will be king over all the earth. The prophecy of Isaiah 9, 
6 and 7 will finally completely be fulfilled. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This kingdom is a successful kingdom. In the dream of the image, all the kingdoms had to give up their territory to someone else. In Jesus' kingdom, it will stand forever. It will not eventually fade away or be, ta- or be taken by someone else. It will stand forever. What does it look like for Christ's kingdom to be successful? I want to read 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 28. Then come at the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also be himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. To be successful in Christ's kingdom is for Jesus to put all his enemies under his feet so that God can be all in all, so that he can manifest his glory without any opposition here on the earth. We sang the song, Joy to the World. And just think about the song. I think it is a fitting song for the sermon today. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. That song is a millennium song. Let's look now at the certainty of the dream. In verse 45, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof is sure. God had made known to King Nebuchadnezzar, to Daniel, also to us, what should come to pass hereafter. Also, the dream that that Daniel told the king is certain. It is certain. It is exactly what the king dreamt. It is the truth. Not only is the dream certain, but also the way that Daniel interpreted it is sure. It is something that we can believe in. It is something that we can trust that God will bring it to pass.
Just as Daniel and his people weren't sure about the future that they were in, with the dream, they had something that they could look forward to. We too have something to look forward to here on this earth. There will come a time when Jesus will make all things right. And this should cause us to worship the God of gods and the Lord of kings, just like the king did in verse 47. Are we trusting in the Gentile rulers who will someday, with their kingdom, be turned to dust? Or are we seeking for the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom he will set here on the earth? The stone that represents Jesus Christ in this dream is one that is strong, is firm, and is one that will endure. Let's stand secure in him. If you're able to, let's kneel to pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your many blessings. Thank you, Lord, that you plan, that you promise to come back again. And Lord, we look forward for that time when there will be no more sorrow, where there will be no more curse and sin. I pray, God, that you would just help us, Lord, to be faithful to you until that time comes. Um, I pray, God, that you just give us the strength that we need to um, live for you and to seek after you. I pray, God, that you would just be with us today, guide and direct us. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.